Welcome to the Creative Language Technologies Podcast. I am Roxana Gurju, your creative host. I am thrilled to kickstart the podcast with a mini-series on bridging the knowledge and research and teaching practices from multiple disciplines like STEM, which stands for Science, Technology, Engineering, Math and Medicine, with Humanities, Arts and Social Sciences. Here is the show. This is episode number one of the podcast, and it's Thursday, the 9th of September, 2021. In today's show, I'm talking to Dr. Ashley Baer about the National Academy of Sciences study on the importance of the integration of the humanities and arts with sciences, engineering, and medicine in higher education. Dr. Baer served as the study director of this initiative, working with an expert committee of artists, humanists, scientists, engineers, and doctors over a period of two years. She currently serves as the acting director of the National Academy's Committee on Women in Science, Engineering and Medicine, which works on issues of gender equity in STEM, a topic that the committee of the previously mentioned study also explored. Welcome, Ashley. It is great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. It's uh, wonderful to be here. So let's start. Um, In 2018, the Board of Higher Education and Workforce of the National Academies of Sciences, Engineering and Medicine released a very important study entitled The Integration of the Humanities and Arts with Sciences, Engineering and Medicine in Higher Education, branches from the same tree. You co-edited this publication together with Dr. David Scorton, at the time, the secretary of the Smithsonian Institute. So the question is, what was the purpose of this study and what were its findings and recommendations? Yes, that's an excellent question. And maybe I can begin by providing a little bit of background and context on the work of the National Academies to provide a sort of a backdrop for this work and, and why we pursued this work. So the real mission and mandate of the National Academy of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine, our, our sort of tagline is advisors to the nation. <laughs> we always joke that it's a very humble tagline. We sarcastically joke it's a very humble tagline. But really, it's a the purpose of the organization is to, to bring together experts, typically in, in scientific disciplines, to offer a set of unbiased, uh, objective advice, often to government and, and, and other sectors, but historically, it's often meant to government agencies about issues of critical importance to the nation. And within the context of the organization's work, we have groups that focus on different aspects of society and different critical issues that we face as a society. And so the work that I've been involved with over the past several years has really been focused on higher education and the workforce and critical issues facing the nation related to those spheres. And again, considering the name of the institution is the National Academy of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine, a lot of the work that we've done has focused on science education, engineering education, medical education, and the, and the science, engineering, and medical workforce. So you might ask yourself, why would the National Academy of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine take on a study that is also looking at the integration of the arts and humanities. That that's those are not arts and humanities are not in our title, the title of our name. And and the answer is that a part of our job, especially as it relates to this understanding, what are the critical issues facing in in education and in the workforce, 
is to look at emerging trends in higher education in the workforce that, that deserve further exploration. And I try to understand, you know, what, what can we tell from the existing evidence? What can the experts tell us about, you know, what's happening, why it's happening, and, and what impact it's having? And so the motivation for this study really arose from our, the group of experts that we work with, what they observed in, out in the world in you know, whole landscape of higher education, and then also among employers was this what seemed to be this movement towards enthusiasm and actually the creation of many new programs that were seeking to very intentionally integrate the arts and humanities with the science, engineering, and medical fields. And I say very intentionally because we distinguish this from your sort of general education, what you would think of as sort of a general education requirements approach to an integrative education. You know, if you look at most most higher education institutions, there's still a general education requirement in which students learn about all different disciplines. They learn about the arts, the humanities, the sciences. But these new programs that we that were emerging were really seeking within the context of a particular course or program of study to bring, you know, knowledge, pedagogies together in a very integrate, intentionally integrative way. And the sort of rationale, there were there's sort of a whole set of different rationales that th- those we spoke to about this shared, but really one of the main rationales was that the sort of notion that higher education had become over time too sort of siloed, so too focused, too too segregated along disciplinary lines, and that actually this wasn't really always in service of learning, and it wasn't always in service of the advancement of knowledge. And so there was this great enthusiasm for a, a more integrative approach, various pockets of higher education, which then coincided with surveys that were coming out of employers where employers were saying, you know, we're not really, some of the students coming out of higher education, many of the students, I should say, coming out of higher education are coming into the workforce, not really well equipped for the workforce. And some of the cross-cutting skills and competencies, they're coming into the workforce, you know, not, we feel not really well versed in are, are the kinds of things that the arts and humanities, you know, could help bolster on the one hand, or, you know, on the flip side, the, the sciences could, could help bolster. And so, so we, you know, at the National Academies, the way we approach our work is that we assemble a committee of experts who volunteer their time to come together over an extended period of time to, to really take a deep look at a particular issue. They're guided by a statement of task, a very specific statement of task. And they look at the evidence, they speak to key stakeholders and experts, and they ultimately produce a, in this case, a, a, what we call a consensus report. So it's called a consensus report because the report reflects their shared, the findings and recommendations that this diverse group of people agree upon. And so it has power because the people we pull together come at the topic from very different perspectives, but they speak with one voice and say, we agree to the following, you know, statements and the following recommendations. And, and I'll just say that the study itself was made possible with the support of the Mellon Foundation, the National Endowment for the Humanities and the National Endowment for the Arts. And you asked what the major findings or recommendations were. Well, I think one of the major findings was clearly that there's this sort of movement that has taken off in higher education. That was very clear. And the enthusiasm for this was just palpable. It's just amazing to see the level of enthusiasm. The folks that really believe that this is the right approach and that higher education 
has the pendulum has swung too far in the direction of a more disciplinary based education. It's just the passion for, for this sort of more integrative approach. It's just, you can feel it. It's, it's really exciting to be around. And we documented in the report, many, many, many examples of different types of of programs in all different fields and they come in all different forms and flavors. And some of them are an individual course and some of them are a full program on study and some of them are co-taught and some of them are taught by a single instructor. And some of them are very, very closely intertwined in the level of integration. And some of them are a little bit more superficial in their, their integration, but there's lots of examples. So that was one key finding. Another was that there was this really interesting correlation between this sort of what the preliminary evidence showed in terms of the potential learning outcomes for students associated with these more integrative models. So there's really not enough research out there and we need more. And so that's another key finding. But the research that is available suggests that there are some very compelling learning outcomes associated with these more integrative models. And um, among them are some of these cross-cutting skills and competencies like improved oral, written, and communication skills, ability to work well in teams, tolerance for ambiguity, I'm trying to think what else. There's a whole long list, you know some sort of motivational outcomes related to an interest in lifelong learning. And many of these, these cross-cutting skills and competencies track very closely to the same sorts of skills and competencies that those employer surveys were showing employers felt the students were leaving higher education lacking. So there's a sort of very interesting correlation between what these integrative models were showing in terms of learning outcomes, what employers are saying they need from students, and also actually what most higher education institutions say Leadership says they want the students to, to all students, regardless of their major, they want students to leave the institution with a, a grasp of. So, so that was a really interesting uh, takeaway. But in terms of the, the recommendations, I think the committee felt like unanimous that this sort of experiment that's already well underway in higher education should continue. The efforts that are that are underway to, to integrate across disciplines should be sustained whenever possible. You know, new efforts should be supported by leadership, by, you know, foundations, but also that, that these efforts should be evaluated because there's an important need for new knowledge to, to better understand what are the, what's the full range of, of potential outcomes of these models, both in terms of the learning outcomes for students, the potential benefits to professionals. For example, they're, they're really interesting, some interesting data on the benefits of these sorts of models for people who like pursue medical degrees or people in fields like engineering, more professional education, um, but then also just the value in terms of advancing knowledge. But so let me stop there. That's a lot of information. Uh, so what about the direction of the integration? Should it be from the STEM disciplines to humanities and arts? Should it be from the other direction, uh, both directions? Yeah, the, the committee felt very strongly that it needed to be a very balanced approach, a very balanced uh, integration. And to the point where it was very interesting, there's a paragraph or two in the introduction of the report in which the I think the committee even explicitly explains why, you know, oftentimes you'll hear, you'll hear people use the terms uh, STEAM, S-T-E-A-M, in which an A is added to the like, commonly used acronym STEM for science, technology, engineering, and math, STEAM, science, technology, engineering, arts, and math. 
you hear STEAM thrown around. The committee didn't want to use that acronym because to them, it felt the A for the arts was being sort of subsumed by STEM. And the arts were sort of, I think the committee felt there was this problem with arts being thought as sort of the handmaiden to the sciences, or that's one way people put it, or this sort of nice add-on or enhancement when in fact, like to get the real value out of this, it should be an equal partnership and it should be a situation in which there's a true learning that happens in both directions and and ideally a kind of a changing of, of a mindset and, a, and a, a way to see the world and, and explore the world through a new lens and not as just a, oh, we'll just, we're going to use the arts to just kind of communicate about our science or, you know, just use the science as a tool for the art. Not that there's anything wrong with that and that they can have value, but, you know, when it's done with potential greatest value, there would be like a very true balanced integration. You mentioned silos. So most academics are very comfortable following their own practices. And in some disciplines like STEM, for example, doing very well on their own, providing the so needed specialized skills. And we need scientists, technologists, innovators to invent the solutions for this rapidly changing and demanding job market. And these days, in fact, more and more students get STEM experience as part of their K-12 education or even college education, being encouraged to pursue degrees in computer science, engineering, or other STEM disciplines, which are seen as their ticket to success. So what is the incentive for these kinds of interdisciplinary collaborations or programs? I mean, what is in for each participating discipline? Again, given that some disciplines like STEM do very well on their own. Mm -hmm. I think it depends a little bit on who you're directing that question towards. So this report was very much focused on student learning experiences. And so frequently when we talk about this study, we end up talking very quickly, slipping into a conversation about STEM professionals or academics, really, like practicing academics. But when what the study was really about was how to enhance student learning. And so if we start with what do we want students to get out of their or their educational experience. We, that's like where we begin the conversation. It takes us in a different direction. And we find that if we anchor their education in sort of a broader set of learning outcomes and goals, it kind of naturally pull the curriculum in a direction that's more integrative because you start finding yourself thinking about, you know, curricula that are, well, either focus on sort of develop, developing these cross-cutting competencies or, and, or I should say, focused around thinking about the world outside the classroom and real world challenges, which also lend themselves to a more integrative conversation. Now, if you talk about professionals, either in academia or in industry, where you're working, I do think it's hard to convince someone who's working in like a pure pure physics laboratory that they need an artist. You know, they need to be doing something integrative with the art. That doesn't mean they don't exist. They do. There are some really valuable, fruitful collaborations, deep collaborations between artists and physicists, but it's much more intuitive. I think the conversation's so much easier. I don't want to say easier sell because that's not even very characterizing, but it's much more intuitive, I think, for like professional engineers, engineers or professional physicians to understand the value of ethics and design to their work than it is to someone working in like a very, very specific, deep natural science. So I think it's, it depends. And I'm sure the same, I often find myself slipping into speaking from a very STEM oriented perspective because I'm 
my background is in STEM, but I hear the same thing on the humanities and arts side. The more like deeply focused you are in your, your disciplinary work, sometimes like the harder it is to like think through that bridge. It doesn't mean it's not there and doesn't mean there aren't good examples there are. The more your work professionally interfaces with people, the easier it, more quickly you get there. There's so many examples in the medical field. There's so many examples in engineering of this integration. It's quite striking, but I think it depends on where you start to have that conversation. Yes, I hear you. So the report also mentions the um, impact that such an integration would have on employers and the job market with, in particular, new jobs being lost in the future, right? And others newly created, in particular, by the emerging technologies that require more advanced skills. And obviously, the educational system has to adjust and adapt to this new reality. Now, the report also mentions that the U.S and I do agree with that statement that the U.S. remains a powerful force for innovation and scientific progress. But my questions here are, to what extent is this sustainable? Is the current educational system adequately meeting the students' educational needs and successfully preparing them for the job market? <laughs> wow. Well, <laughs> I feel like I'm not allowed to answer that as an individual. I could probably only, I have my own personal opinions about that, which I'll keep to myself. What can I say about what the report, so I think the report clearly shows data to suggest that there's a current mismatch between what employers say they are looking for from graduates and the skill set the graduates are coming out of higher education with. So I think that's, that's clearly borne out by the data. So I think if you go based on that, the status quo isn't really serving the needs of students right now or employers right now. I think that the it's fair to say that the report supports that statement and that a lot of people think that the direction we're headed, yeah, in terms of the future and the the big role that technology is playing in our lives and, and the future of work, that we need to think more about the sort of uniquely human skills and how to continue to cultivate those and that you cannot do in a single discipline. I think that's that's really the thesis, or maybe it's not the thesis of the report, but it is one of the key messages of the report was that, is that not no single discipline is sufficient to address the, you know, the human challenges we face and will face. Right. The human challenges uh, need a holistic approach, and this is one way to do it. Absolutely. So the members of the National Academies Committee, including yourself, uh, who author the branches of the same tree study, have been very busy at work visiting colleges and universities since uh, 2018. How has the academic landscape changed since the publication of the study? And what are some of the main challenges academia is still facing in implementing such initiatives, such programs? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, since the report was released in 2018, we've uh, been really doing making a concerted effort to make sure that it doesn't just sit on the shelf and collect dust that we go out and engage with communities that are that are interested in learning more about this report, which in practice has looked at first what it looked like was actually traveling the committee members or National Academies staff traveling to campuses and speaking about the report, but even more important than talking about the report, actually, I think creating a space for a 
for a campus-wide conversation where we could bring people together for a conversation where we had the scientists and the artists and the humanists on the faculty and the administrators and the students <laughs> together in a room to talk about, do we want to do this? Are we doing this already? Why is it hard? How can we sustain it? How can we evaluate it? And you're right, there are challenges. How has it become more or less challenging? Well, I said what it looked like before was that we were physically traveling. Now what it looks like is we're virtually doing giving these presentations and things. I think in I think many of the challenges that we document in the report, you know, at the time of its release, which are sort of bureaucratic challenges, the way academic institutions are, are set up is very disciplinary. It's a very disciplinary structure. So if there's sort of bureaucratic barriers to, to collaboration, there are sometimes just physical barriers to collaboration. If, you know, the art department is on one side of campus and the science department's on the other, there are, of course, budgetary and fiscal barriers to collaboration. And so often we, we hear about people doing these interesting things, teaching these interesting courses that students love, but they're sort of doing it on their free time. They're basically volunteering their time to teach these classes, especially if it requires them to be team taught. Oh, another one that's really a, a tough one in terms of seeking external funding for this kind of work, whether it's in the form of like teaching a class, support for sort of pedagogical exploration or research is that there's not a clear source of sort of federal or, or even private foundation support because, because of the integrative nature of the work. At the federal level, we have like the National Science Foundation and you have the National Endowment for the Humanities and the National Endowment for the Arts. But how those entities would come together to try to review a proposal that's integrative is, presents challenges. That alone is an integrative activity to review those proposals. So all these challenges that I think were challenges then, they continue to be challenges that we're all grappling with. I think in some ways, maybe there are certain fields where there's, I think we've seen some sort of greater momentum. It seems that medis, the medical community doesn't seem, needs a lot of convincing that there's value in this integrative model anymore. And I'm sure to some extent, the pandemic, a real world challenge that of course requires a medical intervention, but it requires so much more to really address. And I think it's a perfect example of something where you, you need to bring all of our assets from all these disciplines together to address the issue. And, you know, I know, for example, like the CDC is, is totally bought into harnessing the, the power of the arts to, to try to communicate about vaccine acceptance. And so I think that maybe one, one area where we've seen some real, even faster sort of in embracing of this sort of integrative model. But the challenges still remain. Our universities are still set up, you know, in a way that just very actively undermine the integration of these disciplines. Yeah, yeah, that's a very nice application, actually, how to respond to the challenges brought by the pandemic. Absolutely, humanities, social scientists, and arts play a very important role in this kind of studies. That was actually my, my next question, which you already tackled, meaning what should decision makers do to encourage this kind of exploratory collaborations and integrative practices? Yeah, there are various steps that decision makers could take. We document some examples in the report. I'm sure if we were to do a kind of part two of the report, now or in a couple of years, we have even more. But I think some of the examples we document of steps leaders have taken to try to support 
this, this kind of work, you know, include things like setting aside money in the budget to support this kind of work, you know, revising sort of like tenure and promotion guidelines and criteria to encourage more integrative exploration. You know, looking at where these, this, these sort of incentives, where the incentive structures are and uh, trying to adjust them. There are examples of, of certain universities and colleges that have taken really bold steps and have completely restructured their departments. And instead of having like the Department of Math, they have like the Department of Climate Change, which is going to draw from all different disciplines. So they're all different ways to approach it. Looking at the sort of levers that and, and incentives that influence behavior and then thinking about where there's some ability to make adjustments is one thing that leaders can do to provide space for this exploration. There's also, of course, the co-curricular space in which a lot of people operate to to explore this, uh, this these sorts of models. And we talk about that a little bit in the report, but if you want to try to build it in sort of more fundamentally into the structure of teaching and research, then I think you do have to look at the, like the structure of the university. So there are some interesting models and we try to provide in the report and then on our website, a list of examples. And it's actually something where you could go in and you can add an example if you have a program just as a resource for people. If you're looking for an example, of some kind of course or program that could kind of seem like it was something that you could work at your university. You could see what else was out there as an example, and perhaps even contact the folks that were involved in that program to get a sense for what were the challenges and how did you overcome them to kind of learn from each other. Yeah, so such an integration definitely has very wide implications, and there are so many things to, to do. But let, let's shift the questions, the discussion now toward the public. So public conversation about higher education often stresses the importance of the STEM disciplines. And as you said, there are many excellent cross-disciplinary programs like this at various colleges and universities across the country, although they are sometimes exception to the rule. Do you believe the public should be more engaged in the STEM humanities arts integration debate? And if yes, how do you see that happening? Hmm. I think it's less that the public have a responsibility to be engaged in it and more that I think maybe there's an argument that the scholars in the academic institutions have a greater responsibility to engage the public. And maybe in doing so, that also naturally builds a bridge to towards a greater integration. Because yeah, there is yeah, it's it is important to uh, to think about how to connect the important work that's going on in higher education to the needs of communities and and to the grand challenges we're facing locally and globally. And maybe by by virtue of doing that, then the public does become more involved in that conversation. And I think that's something that, at least at the federal level, I think that's something that has a lot of support. I think most people would agree with it, but we don't, it doesn't seem that it happens all that much in higher education. The more we can center these conversations around the actual challenges we face, as opposed to this conversation about is it the arts or the humanities or the science what's more important but actually if we just change the conversation to like how do we get ourselves out of this pandemic <laughs> then I think that's probably the maybe should be the goal because we naturally in the humanities arts and sciences when we do that Yes, absolutely. I totally agree that we in academia should do more to involve the public and also tell the public what we're doing, not only in our courses, but also in our research as well. More, more to be done there for sure. So this is great, Ashley. How can our listeners learn more about the Academy, its programs, and where they can find you? 
Well, I think if, if there's an interest in learning more specifically about this study, the best place to go would be to the web page we have devoted to the report, which includes not only a link to the report, but also a short video with an overview of the key takeaways and a list of the places that we've spoken about the report and a bunch of other resources that might be useful. And, and you can access that webpage at www.nas.edu backslash branches. That's B-R-A-N-C-H-E-S, just like branches from the same tree. That's probably the best the best place to go to learn more about this report. Other than that, I the National Academy is putting out reports and holding convenings and workshops on so many different important topics every single day. I would encourage folks to just Google National Academy of Sciences, Engineering and Medicine and check out our website. I couldn't possibly summarize <laughs> everything that we have going on right now. It's anything, pretty much everything you can think of. And it's um, it's a lot of really important work and, and very informative. And so... Um, I hope that folks will check it out because uh, our, our goal is really just to provide expert information and resources and, and we, we want to be useful in that way. And I want to thank you for this opportunity to, to speak about this, this report. Oh, the pleasure is all mine. I really, really enjoyed the report and all the articles I, I read about this initiative and your visits around the country. I think this is such a great initiative. It will really flourish from here. I'm sure about that. So thank you so much for your time, Ashley. This was great. Thank you. Happy to do it. Really do.